Well, good morning, Hope. You know, I've been looking forward to this particular Sunday uh, for a number of weeks because we had gotten into a, a series where we were going to be looking through these upside down sayings of Jesus that uh, some people know as the Beatitudes. And uh, so did an introduction a couple weeks ago. And then uh, anybody here, Dave Johnson, last week? How did Dave do? He's all right. He's pretty... It was okay, I guess. I thought it was good, but yeah. So, uh, And so Dave um, was here last, and, and then this week I was going to get to be really nervous because I was going to be preaching in front of, you know, Dave's my friend, but he's kind of my preaching hero too. So I was, you know, kind of preparing and ready to go on this thing. And then <laughs> um, just, you know, something came up. So uh, we decided we wanted to push the pause button on the sermon that was planned, because over the last couple of days, especially yesterday, uh, it was clear that we needed to push that pause button uh, and talk directly about what's happening in our world and our, and our culture um, today. So right up front, uh, I want you to know, uh, maybe this is my excuse, I'm mostly speaking just from my heart here, okay? So <laughs> hope that goes well. Um, <clears throat> uh, but um, unless you've been hiding uh, or isolated in a cave, you know, right, that there's a lot of uh, unrest around us. Uh, because the coronavirus, the COVID-19, who goes by COVID-19? Who's going with that? Who's going by coronavirus? Who's, oh, Dos Equis, No, okay, none of those. Um, but but it has, has, uh, has had a serious impact, and the start, stock market's been dropping, and people are panicking, and uh, Jim, great stories there about, um, you know, what you're finding and not finding in the stores and uh, as followers of Jesus, we could be tempted, like the rest of the world, to, I think, go to one of two extremes. Um, uh, we ask the question, so are we supposed to just go on with life as usual, which I would say is probably underreacting, um, or do we want to go to the other end and make sure that we've got extra hand sanitizers and toilet paper, and do we want to hide inside and prepare for the end of the world, which might maybe be a... Over, overreacting? Maybe, maybe, maybe. Um, but okay, let's be honest here. How many of you, when you heard toilet paper was running low, you know, you got a little nervous and made, come on, let's be honest, you ran, made a little run for toilet paper. A few of us, okay. Um, and seriously, I was like, well, why? I think we asked this. Like, why toilet paper? Of all the things that you got to make sure, you know, I've seen a few friends say, I really wish I had gotten that bidet I was thinking about. Um, <laughs> And when we were uh, gone a couple days ago, we went down to uh, see other parts of Arizona. And I, I kid you not, this was the perfect time. I walk, perfect timing. I walked in this restaurant. I walked back over to the counter to get something. Turned the corner, and the poor girl that was saying this to her work coworker didn't know that I was going to walk around the corner. She goes, "I mean, seriously, what are we supposed to do? Use receipts?" <laughs> <clears throat> Not a bad idea, actually, right? I think that CVS receipts. There you go. That's right. Buy more, feed the paper. Yes. Uh, now your tax preparer, by the way, might not be real encouraged about that. I don't know if Randy's here. Would you suggest no, not the receipts? No. Okay, Randy says no. Tax guy says no. But So listen to what Dr. Jay Zagorski, is his real name, he teaches at Boston University. He said, that, well, this is why it's about toilet paper. He said... When faced with an uncertain situation, people can feel better if they eliminate one risk. Bulk buying toilet paper eliminates the small risk of running out if quarantined. People might not be able to eliminate the risk of catching coronavirus, 
but they can eliminate the risk of running out of toilet paper, which makes most people feel like they have some control in this uncertain situation. Does that make, that actually, (laughs) some of you are a perfect sense. I'm with the perfect sense. Some of you are like, no, yeah, okay. By the way, there's, um, people also are hoarding, you know, hand sanitizer um, and, and the other sale that's really up high. Anyone want to guess? Alcohol, not rubbing alcohol, like <laughs> drinking alcohol. So I suppose once people hoard all this stuff and then they still feel like they don't have control, that's where the alcohol comes in. That's what I'm guessing anyway. Um, yeah, alcohol does kill germs. Yes, Tracy. Tracy will help you with that. Um, now, here's the deal, though, is we've never done this before. Like, in our generation, I mean, 9-11 might be kind of the closest thing that was similar in some ways. So we do have that honest question, like, oh, what do we do, right? And, and I've listened to a bunch of stuff and read a bunch of stuff and, and listened to what other people are saying, especially how churches want to proceed and go forward. And, and uh, we here at Hope, the leaders, we want to educate ourselves so we make good decisions about what to do, but... Just let me say right away, don't, I'm not going to pretend to be an expert, okay? Like, I have no idea where this thing is going, and honestly, most of the experts uh, don't know either. So this morning, while I'm sharing, I just want to put it into the perspective from, from a follower of Jesus, um, from a pastor, and also uh, as, as a friend, because there is impact in how we proceed with this coronavirus stuff. I mean, just right here on our own church staff, um, Jim and, and Sarah's daughter, Maya, she has a, a heart condition that affects her lungs. So it is really good that she's not here this morning. She's going to need to kind of step back. So as much you know, fun as we poke at this, there, there are people that are near and dear to our hearts that it's wise for them to not take the risk. Or Will and, and Christy, there are three boys, one of them, Uh, Aiden has diabetes, and diabetics are high on the risk list for susceptibility. So, um, again, we don't know where this is going to go, but but vulnerable people, you and I probably each know vulnerable people that we care about, right? So we want to make sure I'd rather be way careful than regret that we just disregarded everything. So... So this thing, um, as confusing and maybe some of it is sort of funny and some of it's goofy, uh, but this thing also is very serious. And when I think about the people that I know and love who are of higher susceptibility, uh, you know, it makes sense that, that professional sporting events and conferences and concerts have been canceled. Uh, the Ostrich Festival, kind of a big deal in Chandler, right? Wipe that thing out. It is not happening. It didn't happen. Um, Major League Baseball, spring training, which brings lots of people and visitors and income to the Valley. Uh, it's done. It's done, and opening day is, last I heard, delayed at least a couple weeks. Um, there are some schools that are shutting down uh, for the rest of the semester. There's other schools, even here in Arizona, that are you know, kind of week by week. They're moving to, we'll see in a week if we're going to let kids come back. Other schools are staying open. Um, ASU, where uh, Noah goes, my son goes to school. You guys moved it all online, right? You excited about that? You are, actually. Okay, you changed his tune. Look at that. Um, my seminary classes, though, which are all online, weird. They're not, they're not changing anything for us. I don't know how that works. but now, there's, there's travel bans. Um, our, our son, Ryan, uh, Heidi and I, he's over in uh, Ireland, Scotland right now. They've, they were supposed to go to Germany. Now they're 
hanging around the UK, but now that's not a great place to be either. Um, Lots of things are going on, right? And so what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Um, What's our own response as a church or as individual? Like, do we we just want to go over here and just kind of ignore it and pretend nothing's happening? Or do we want to go to the uh, overreaction here and just stockpile beans and rice and stay home for the next three months? And I just have a couple few thoughts that I want to share about that. I actually have a bunch of thoughts, but I only feel compelled to share a couple. So, so there you go. Lucky you. Um, but the first thought that I want to share is this. Um, when you're full of fear, when we are full of fear, it's a really bad time to make big decisions, isn't it? Like to make big long-term or permanent decisions. And so I'm not going to make any big long-term permanent decisions today because there's just too much fear and chaos swirling around us. Like tension and stress levels are way too high to make those kinds of decisions that are going to impact us for a long time. Because when we are hit with crisis, when we are hit with panic, it's really best for us not to project too much out into the future. Because we can spend a lot of energy, you know, worrying about what options might happen. Maybe this, maybe this, maybe this. Um, And that doesn't actually help us make good decisions because fear hampers good decision-making. Scientific studies show this over and over, that wise decisions are best made when we act with the things that we actually know about today, right now, to be the facts, the data, and then we move forward with that. See, we lose perspective when we're in fear, and then fear messes with good decision-making. But I have some really good news for us. I mean, um, as followers of Jesus, we can live a different way. There are different realities, different perspectives that are offered to you and I so that you and I don't have to just follow whatever the rest of our culture is doing. See, because we've put our hope in Jesus, um, it's true that we live in this world and we care about this world, but the bigger truth is that ultimately we are not of this world, our main concern is not just here and now. While we do care about here and now, we have a bigger perspective. We're a part of a different kingdom where God rules and reigns, where he sits on a throne. And ultimately, no matter what happens in this story, as much as we care about this world, um, we are looking to Jesus. We keep our eyes on Jesus. And because of that, you and I, get to live like people um, who have hope. We don't don't have to live like those who have no hope because we do have hope. And when I think about this, I I just wonder how do people that don't know Jesus and know that God really cares for them, like how do they cope in times like this? Like you hear all the experts and officials saying, hey, listen, don't panic, don't be afraid, which I don't know was helping much because a lot of people seem to really be panicking and in deep fear. And, you know, I just want to say real quick, um, I want you to hear me too, because if if, if you have felt fearful this week uh, about the pandemic, um, I don't want you to think I'm saying you're overreacting, right? It's perfectly understandable to be afraid. There's a lot of unknowns, right? And again, we've never encountered anything like this before. Um, But as a church, we're trying to make decisions that are not driven by fear, which is just part of why we still gathered to worship together today. Like in our state here in Arizona, the state officials didn't say, no, you need to make sure that you're not gathered in crowds. Um, Now, other states did do that. And so lots of churches had to 
had to uh, shut down, or, or I think we're probably overcrowding Facebook, the Christian world this morning, but hey, that's good. Um, but but, but um, we even then still wanted to make a wise decision that was not driven by fear. And some of my pastor friends, they did cancel services, and I think that's fine too. And for us, you know, here's a good question that I think we need to be stay tuned for, because as the days and weeks ahead unfold, um, are we going to keep meeting publicly on Sundays at 9.30 in the morning, um, like we are this morning? And the answer is, we don't know. We don't know. Um, we're going to try, uh, but we will evaluate. We'll pray for wisdom. We're going to use discernment. And then week by week, we're going to decide. So stay tuned. Make sure you're on our text list or on our email list um, uh, or look on our Facebook for posts. But that'll how you know. That's how you'll know what's coming up. But we don't want to be driven by fear, whatever we do. And so one of the reasons we are went ahead and met this morning um, is because we do know that this, this hour and 15, 20 minutes uh, is a time for many of us in the room who maybe feel like spiritual refugees and we just need somewhere to go to be reminded of the deep, deep love of God. And we can do that. We can do that online too, right? But to come together, there is something that happens when we gather to worship, where, where we sense the presence and the love of God in a different way than when I'm at home. And I love all our friends that are watching on Facebook, and we're praying that God will help you to feel uh, loved and not alone this morning. And we, we miss you, and we, but we support and understand you. But we decided we're going to do this thing that we're doing uh, as long as we can. Um, and let me add this, just you're smart people, okay? You're smart people. So like, if you're not feeling well, stay home, okay, right? If, if you have some vulnerable conditions that, that make it unwise for you to be here until things clear up, like, that's, that's great. Stay home. Let us know how we can pray for you. Join us on that Facebook Live thing that we're testing today because um, we're not forcing anybody to get here, right, to be here. Nobody's forced to be here. Nobody's feeling guilty if they're not. Um, and, and I know you guys already know this, but, like, here's the deal. You're not going to hell if you miss church, okay? Actually, I know you all know that because, you know, I'll stop right there. I'm going to dig myself a hole right there. Yeah. <laughs> now, I want to talk about fear just a little bit. Um, again, for the most part, fear is actually bad and dangerous, but once in a while, fear can be a good thing. Fear can be helpful. Can anybody think of some, some ways? Raise your hand so I call on you so I don't miss you, and I know who's saying it. How could he, fear actually be helpful? Yes. I don't know if I can summarize that. That was great. I hope they heard that. But that's like sometimes fear helps you to see where you're going wrong and not according to the word of God. And it helps you to make that decision to go the right way. Um, good, good. Anybody else? What else? Where? Yes, yes. So you don't get eaten by wild animals. Yes. See, Heidi, your fear of bears and mountain lions when we hike. See, did you tell her to say that? That's, that's yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Ooh, fear can help you actually reach out to someone when you need help. And Tracy, there we go, double. We got, we got a second on that one. Yeah, see, there's all kinds of ways that fear actually is designed, at least 
chemically in your body to help you avoid pain, right? So it's not always bad, right? Um, I'm thinking about when when we went to Havasupai Falls the first time a few summers ago, and uh, Heidi and I had never been there. Have you ever seen this place? It's gorgeous. I should have put pictures on the screen. Um, But when Heidi and I just went there by ourselves before the next two years, I saw these awesome pictures of, you know, these dudes jumping off the falls into these beautiful blue pools of water. And even though you're not supposed to, I was like, man, I am going to jump. I'm going to do it. I'm going to jump off one of those cliffs. I'm going to do this. Like, they're all doing it. We even got there, and I was watching them do it. Weird. What age range, by the way, do you think most of those guys were? Yeah, 18 to 20. Yeah, your prefrontal cortex is not fully developed until, I'm just saying. Uh, But that actually works to their advantage too. But it would have been a bad idea for me to jump. And so in that instance, you know, fear probably saved my life or at least a broken leg. Now, fear also though, and I'm going to venture to say even for the most part, um, this is a scary moment. And so... Um, even though we may feel fearful because of this scary moment, we need to remember that the God of the universe, he is the God of the impossible, and his love casts out fear. His love is with you, it's within you, he's for you. See, God has a plan to give us a hope and a future, not with stuff, uh, just calamity and disaster all the time, um, despite maybe what it seems like the world is turning to sometimes and in some ways, um, God is for you. Now, I'm going to talk in a little bit uh, about how that doesn't mean you'll never suffer, okay? But, but, But sometimes the climate of fear around us helps us just walk right into a fearful place and live hopelessly. And when we talk about actually trusting that the God of the impossible is for us, uh, some people might hear that and think, well, they're really minimizing the danger of our current reality. And so again, I want to say, listen, uh, yeah, I do believe in Jesus. I know God is for us, but I'm not some medieval fool that ignores science and medicine. Uh, No, those are good things. And so it's vital that we are wise. It's vital that we take precautions, that we don't participate in spreading this virus. Um, Yet it's equally important that we don't perpetuate any fear by allowing a spirit of fear to rule us and run us ragged. See, there's a difference in there. Because friends, remember this, um, ultimately, fear is a liar. Fear is a liar, in fact, fear's a fantastic storyteller. It's, a, it's an even better movie maker. Fear just takes hold and it goes and goes and goes, which is part of why news outlets focus on fear so much. Whatever your news network of choice is, they know how to stir up fear because they know that the more fear they stir up, stir up, the more we will keep tuning in and developing a dependence on them, which increases their ratings, it increases their advertising, meaning the more fear that they stoke, the more money that they make, um, because fear works. <laughs> it grabs hold and, and it works, but fear is a liar. And not to just pick on the media, let's get real about our own lives, our own stories, our own selves. Fear knows how to whip up a crazy story in my own head without the help of anyone outside, thank you very much. 
See, when I operate in fear, I can go down the drain of despair really quickly. Can you think of a time in your life where, where you started thinking about and fearing something and pretty soon you found yourself kind of circling the drain and everything seemed dark and hopeless. See, it happens to all of us and it almost feels normal and natural because it happens so easily. Because while fear might keep me from doing stupid stuff like jumping off a cliff, um, most of the time, Fear is just stirring my anxiety about the future. And like Chris Valentin says, uh, I bet you'd never trust a person who lied to you as much as fear lies to you about your fate. I mean, just think about this for a moment, maybe sometime this week or but even right now. Like, think about the things in your life that brought fear onto you or into you and you just dwelled in the things you feared, but they never happened. Like, I got really energized Think of something specific. Like, can you think of a time when you spent a lot of time and energy fearing something that never happened? And whatever that thing is, and some of us can locate it real quick, because maybe we're in it right now. Whatever that thing is, even though it felt real, um, you can remind yourself that, that fear is really fantastic at telling us stories that don't come true. Because fear's a liar. And again, it's normal right now, completely normal to feel fear. There's no shame in it. Like, don't hear me saying, it is sinful to have fear, so knock it off, okay? Um, that doesn't work. I wouldn't say that, and, uh, and it's not true. Um, and I don't think that's what God would say to to us at all, because he knows our fears. He knows our fears, right? He knows you intimately. God knows your fears. He deeply knows and understands how big this feels to us. And he's not minimizing it, not at all. God is not minimizing this. In fact, uh, at the seminar um, that we're planning to still do, Friday and Saturday, again, there's gonna be ways that there are some prompts that are gonna help us to get in touch with what God's saying to us through writing some of these prompts out and hearing what he's saying. And a lot of times it is hearing what God is saying about whatever we're concerned or fearful about and that it does matter to him. See, Jesus doesn't hear our fear. God the Father doesn't hear our fear and and, and gets so disappointed that we have so little faith and, and that we swing to fear so quickly. Um, that's, that's not how he responds to our fear. I don't believe that. But he does invite us to see more. Right, That thing that's so big right in front of our face that, that is so huge that we can't see anything else, he invites us to step back and see, oh, there's, that's still there, right? That's, that's still there. But you can see more. You can see more than that thing that's blocking your view. You can see that there is so much more going on. And that's why I believe all over scripture, we hear God reminding his people to fear not. Fear not. And again, when he does this, I don't think God minimizes their stuff and go, hey, listen, it's no big deal, right? He knows what we're going through and he cares deeply for each one of us. And he still says, do not be afraid. 
Now, some writers that I've uh, checked out say there are 365 instances of God saying, fear not in one way or another, all throughout scripture. 365, that's one for every day of the year. I didn't get a chance to check them all. Now, other writers say it's 100 and some, but even, it's only, uh, even if it's only 100 and some, fear not, would you not say that it happens to be a pretty important message that God sends to us over and over? Whether it's 100 and some or 365, maybe 66 for leap year, but um, wouldn't you say that God really wants us to hear this? Like, like you've, those of you that know your Bible at all, just spend a second here and think of places in scripture where God tells someone, fear not. Just go ahead and think about it. Maybe look to the person next to you. See if you can cheat together. You see, we got a couple Bible scholars over here. They know a couple over here. Go ahead and like think of a couple. When does God say, don't be afraid or fear not, something like that? All right, over in this section here, who, who, what, throw, give me a couple. Shepherds in the field, yes, he's, yep, fear not. Do not be afraid, he tells them. And how scary would that be? You're like tending sheep and all of a sudden, boom, angels and lights everywhere and singing, ah, don't be afraid, dude. Yeah, it's pretty good. Who else? Over here, yes. Love and a sound mind, yes. God says, I, did, I do not give you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Excellent, excellent. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When Jesus was in the boat, <laughs> in the storm, again. Yeah, the disciples are freaking out, and Jesus says, why are you afraid, right? You have little faith. Maybe he was mad at them. No, I don't think, yeah. Trace, Yeah. Yes. These guys are stealing my closing, my closing verses, but that's good. There's no fear in love. That's what I get for doing this thing here, right? That's right, that's right. Anybody else? Yes. Oh, you, that, seriously, that is my, but yes. You want me a quarter or you got it? Do not fear, for I am with you. Yep, that's so good. There are so many places you've got, you've got, um, Gideon, right? You've got Joshua. You've got stories all over scripture where God says, do not be afraid. In fact, what does Jesus say to the women who are hanging outside his tomb when he kind of, hey, surprise, I'm alive, right? Do not be afraid, he says. See, these are all these familiar stories and verses. And in, from our vantage point, we've seen where the story goes. We know how it ends, Right? We look back, oh, of course, what were they thinking? Why were they afraid? Because we see the rest of the story. We see there's a bigger story. We see the rest of it. And maybe that's the point of that invitation to fear not. And I would clearly not say, well, it's just that simple, right? Just slap a Bible verse on it, on your fear, and, and, and uh, just get over it, right? I, I would never say that. Um, as Dave says, this is not victory through denial, <laughs> I pretend it's not really there and claim it's victory. This is not victory through denial, which is why I think we can hold our fear up to God to tell him about it and, and then trust him as we do our best to just release it or even give it to him and trust and watch and see what he's gonna do in and through us. Because in the verse that Jim Selen just mentioned here, 
Um, God said in Isaiah 41 to his desperately lost and oppressed people, he said this, the same words he says to us, fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. And this is one of my favorite passages. In fact, just working our way through these phrases here reminds us all that God is calling all of us not to be afraid. Look, he says, fear not. Why? Because I am with you. Fear not. Why? Because I am your God. Fear not. Why? Because I will strengthen you. Fear not because I will help you, God says. God says, I will support you. I will hold you up by my victorious right hand because I am your God. See, when God reminds us that he is our God, he's reminding us that though he is Emmanuel, God with us, he transcends us. He knows more and sees more than you and I. And so he is over us and around us. He is with us. He has promised to protect us, to strengthen us from the inside out. God will be our strength He will uphold us. And because of that, we don't need to be afraid. Again, it's understandable to be afraid. And at the same time, we're told, fear not. It's not victory through denial. No, we deal with the reality. We don't minimize it. And at the same time, there's an option to fear not. Now, speaking to you uh, as a family, the ultimate revelation that you and I have as followers of Jesus that we can carry in times of crisis like this, it's found in Romans 8.15, where it says, the spirit that you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. We sang that song earlier, Abba means daddy, I I belong to you, I belong to you. And again, this is not some way of tuning out, you know, all the information, Um, but we don't have to be enslaved to fear anymore because our faith, our trust is in a trustworthy father. Now, with all of this here, whatever happens, right, we know that God holds us close. And that would probably be a great place to end the sermon. But last night I went down, sat down on the couch about I don't know, nine or 10 o'clock uh, before I was gonna go to bed and started talking with Dave. And I kept thinking, I don't want this to sound like a, like a rah-rah session this morning. Like, come on, just have enough faith to go, you know. Um, because being held close to the heart of God, which is true, being held close does not mean that nothing bad will ever happen to us. The truth that you and I are loved by God and that we are no longer enslaved to fear does not mean that we are exempt from suffering. It it doesn't. It doesn't. The truth is, uh, I've experienced tremendous loss and pain in my life, and so have many of you. So when I give talks like this, I, I often wonder, well, what does trust in God look like? If things are not turning out the way that I hope they'll turn out, what then? What then? And while it sounds like most people who get this virus will be fine, some will not. Some have died. Uh, The elderly, those with lung conditions, other health issues, they're more vulnerable to getting hit really hard with this thing. And some of you know uh, Dave Johnson here. Uh, Dave's been a friend, a mentor for many years, and Dave fits two of those categories, right? One, he's elderly, so there's... (laughs) 
Thank you for laughing. He kind of chuckled, yeah. Um, That's good. But two, and this one is more serious. Um, um, Many of you know that last year when Dave and his wife Bonnie went back to Minnesota after spending a month with us here, Dave went in for some testing and they found that he has idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. Uh, And it's a lung condition and there is no medical cure for this. And, you know, you're not supposed to Google stuff when, but... Of course, yeah, right. Um, and, and the prognosis is not good, um, oftentimes two to five years. So uh, Dave's perspective on this kind of stuff is always uh, really, really good. But I think even more poignant because of the life and health situation that he's in. Um, and so the first thing he said, and Dave, why don't you come on up here? Um, the first thing he said uh, to help me see this from a different perspective um, he, he said something very Dave-like, um, where he said something like, the crisis that we're facing can actually be a gift. can actually be a gift. So, Dave? I was kidding about that. Yeah. <laughs> it was late at night. You could close in prayer then? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think what I meant was um, um, that the gift part of it is that you, um, it kind of opens your eyes to what matters most, what you, one of the phrases I use a lot is, what do you have to have to be okay? And if it, you know, if you have IPF or something else, um, if it's that, if it's, that's what you have to have, then you better keep it. <laughs> you better make sure you never, but you can't make sure you never, whatever. I think a lot of our, I, I, I get nervous around uh, Christian language where in situations like this where we throw faith around a lot. And you did a really good job with the fear and faith because I think sometimes we talk about faith as if uh, faith uh, will help me escape any kind of actual feeling. I, I'll, if I'm really believing God, you've already touched it. And I just think, I think that sometimes when a real crisis comes, the gift of it can be that you start remembering what you know. And it kind of knocks you down to the things um, that you have to have to be okay. And um, it won't, I mean, I, I think all great spirituality, I'm quoting somebody else here, uh, is about letting go. Um, and all our lives, we have to learn how to do that. And some people don't. It's called control freak. And you're just always hanging on to everything. But um, we need to let go um, in the course of our life of what people think. If you don't, you're going to be a people pleaser your whole life. You have to let go of your need to be right and your need to win and your need to control. And, and those are just ways we grow up. And then um, as people grow older, I mean, I'm studying this stuff a lot uh, in terms of phases of life. Uh, Richard Ward talks about um, first half of life building your tower, as it were. Second half of life, you descend into actually greatness and wisdom. You can, but you can't if you don't let go of your need to be young and healthy and all that kind of stuff. And uh, when I got the diagnosis, I, I had just let go of being in the church for 38 years, the pastor of a church for 38 years. And that was quite a process of letting go. And I remember um, thinking I was doing really well. Um, I let go of this, I let go of that, I don't need that. You know, I can give more space for other people and doing really well. And then every once in a while, my wife would say metaphorically, well, if you've let go of that, how come your knuckles are white? <laughs> oh, and, and so there's this, there's this thing about going, oh, wait, I'm, I am living in fear. And I got to, you know, that's, so the gift would be quit that. You just have to. Um, and I think sometimes when it gets bad enough, we quit trying to hold on to it. We, we, there's even more of an acceptance of, huh. I mean, there's nobody here who thinks they're going to live forever, right? 
Yeah, you do. You do think. You don't think you're going to die. Uh, you, you think you're going to die when you start to die. I mean, that's the only time we do, I think. Um, but I, I actually think the journey is about letting go and ultimately letting go of life. But what we're believing in God for is not that we're going to get better. Um, I hope I do. I'll pray for that. But my, the, 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 the belief, faith, it's, I like the word trust, is yeah. that live or die, a coronavirus or not, I'm going to be okay. We are going to be okay. By okay, I don't mean healthy necessarily. <laughs> Um, so I don't know if that I yeah, went yeah. round so, and round. Uh, so we talked a little bit, or you've talked in the past, and we just touched on last night that sometimes even the gift is in kind of the what looks like a crushing. And the Church of Smyrna, you wanna? Yeah, you have, yeah. We did talk about this. I, I, um, I think you remember the churches in the Revelation where Jesus gives this word to these churches, and the Smyrna church was the per- church that was persecuted. And um, they didn't get a, 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 they weren't confronted, they were blessed. But the Smyrna, I did a study on that, and Smyrna, actually it was the, the name of the city or the whatever it was, but it comes from a, a word that has to do with myrrh, and it's a plant. And myrrh is a perfume, but the only way you get the perfume is that you have to crush it. And when you crush it, then the, whatever's on the inside oozes out, and it's really, ugh, but it smells good, evidently. And I remember preaching that and thinking about our people and thinking about myself. And what dawned on me was, and I said this to other people, I'll say it to you. I mean, I think it's true. I think, because um, I think of the persecuted church, people who are going through suffering far beyond what we're in right here. And um, they do really well. They smell good um, to God and to each other. And how did they do that? And I could never do that. Yes, you could. I think you could. I think where we smell bad is when we get grumpy over little things. I mean, the things that, you know, <laughs> like, um, I'm, I'm going to go buy toilet paper. Like, that's what I'm going to, that's going to be the thing I, I do. That doesn't smell very good. In any way, that's a great <laughs> one. I like that. I didn't even plan that. I'll be here all day. Um, I actually think that people do well, especially if the life of God authentically is in you. I think people do, you will do much better than you think the day you're crushed because inside of you is God and Christ. And um, along the way, we'll stumble and whine about toilet paper and stupid stuff and let's confront it. Quit being a baby. But, but that's what that Smyrna thing was. I think those things, believe it or not, I think there's more in us than we know. There's more in you that's good than you know, of God than you know. And in that evil day that you think you won't do very well, I think you will. I think you'll, I think you'll experience and know what um, you know, but you don't know. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> things you know, but you don't know, and then you know. Those are all experiential things. We can't learn them in seminary. So good luck with no. that seminary yeah, junk you. you're taking. <laughs> 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 I hope you pass the test. Anyway. Well, and this isn't just, this kind of spirituality isn't just reserved for the super spiritual or the saints of old. Or That's whatever, why I'm in the ministry, to prove that. Yes. <laughs> well, there's somebody that you and Bonnie made me aware of uh, in the 70s. Uh, well, her story is that in the 70s, a uh, pregnant 27-year-old woman named Paula D'Arcy was in a car accident. It killed her husband and her infant daughter. Um, she was pregnant, and she survived, and later then had to go through um, and give birth as now a widowed uh, woman. And... Um, 
on the other end of this, she became someone different than just bitter, crushed, lost. And, and there's some, one of the things but, she wrote that you've, but, yeah, but, but before you put them yeah, up yeah, there, one of the things yeah. she went through yeah. was, and this is something that's, that's scary for all of us, but she had to go through all of the false things she mm-hmm. believed God would keep her from. Like, if God protects me, you know, think God would never allow this. Well, he did. He just did. It just happened. And, um, you know, like God would never allow me to catch the coronavirus. Well, it wasn't God. It was that guy who, or that woman who was carrying it that gave it to you. God didn't, anyway, it's a whole other talk. But she had to let, there was a big battle. I think it scares me what we sometimes teach people to expect from God. Because when God doesn't do that, we go, well, God must not be real. No, your perception of what God will do is not real. Um, God will help you through it. And that's what she got through to say things like this. Yeah. Yep. Let's put them up. Seven things she says, things of which I am certain. You have a better reading voice than me. Yeah. Well, again, she went through a longer list of things that got, became uncertain after her child died and her husband died. And so it came down to what am I certain of? One is I am certain that everything is gift. Everything. I don't know why that does this to me, but I close my eyes. I think about that, and it's like I don't live like that. But um, if, if everything is gift, what that helps restore is a sense of wonder. What if you really are, what if you really are dying, but everything is gift? Not the disease, the disease. I, ugh, but but um, what if everything is gift, and you begin to have a sense of, if that's true, then there's wonder in my wife and my kids in this place and this church. Holy cow. That's a different way to live. I want to tap into that. I'm not always there. I think one of the ways to get to this is admit that you're not. Yep, that's good. Well, the second one's rough. I just, Bonnie and I just sat and go, wow, who talks like this? I am certain that I am entitled to nothing. Whoa. I mean, what words come to your mind? Surrender, um, that's a different kind of belief. Because I think, does anything rise up in you? I am too. Say, yeah, I know. All the time. Um, I'm certain that the wells for pain and joy are not separate. Um, that pain and joy can be together. I think we, the, the extremes can be there. If we're in pain, we want to escape it as soon as we can. And maybe it's a bunch of Bible verses we use to get over here. And um, then we just kind of, that, that's, that could lead us into denial or, or um, yeah, anyway, so they're the same. I'm certain that bitterness and healing are a choice. I'm certain that running from your darkness leads to greater darkness. How many know that's true? Yeah. Running from your sin, from your addiction, pretending it isn't true, more darkness. I'm certain that the darkness is held ultimately by the light. God is light. We are people of light. Um, and I grew up in church hearing that. And people of the light meant we were the ones who were enlightened. We were the ones who knew the truth about God. It's, it doesn't mean that. Being people of the light are people who live in the light of reality. Um, and uh, darkness uh, is ultimately held by the light means that 
that, that uh, we're being called into living in reality. Uh, if we are afraid, we say we're afraid and um, are willing to live in the light of what's real. We're going to die. Um, but God is going to be with us through that thing. I am certain that the words from Scripture, in him we live and move and have our being, are not poetic. They are actual physical reality. And this week, um, actually, worship team, as you come, may, maybe uh, something for you this week would be to even wrestle through uh, one of these statements that, that would be painful or difficult for you. And which one of these do you wrestle with the most? And, and then ask yourself why. Why? Uh, and be willing to live in the light of that. Because these truths and the truths of Scripture um, like the one in 1 John 4.18 that says, there is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear. Fear has to do with punishment. Uh, those truths are the truths that can continue to transform us, to lead us to places of hope and light and reality and life. Because friends, there's nothing, there's nothing that we face that God is unable to see us through nothing that we face because he is with us, he is with you, and we can trust in his perfect love to drive out all fear. Will you stand? And as we prepare to sing this closing song together, let's read this scripture out loud together. It's from Philippians chapter four. Let's read together. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, amen.